Doctor Who is a constantly changing show, and nowhere is that more obvious than its leading character. What are the most consistent characteristics that the Doctor must maintain from actor to actor to actress? And what does it mean if your Doctor isn't the current Doctor? For September 12th, it's This Week in Time Travel. Hello, Chip. It's great to see you. Hey, Alyssa. It's good to see you, too. And it is... It's been a big week for This Week in Time Travel. Uh, a lot of people really liked our interview with Rachel Talalay, and thank you all so much for the great feedback. And thank you especially to those of you who are joining us uh, after seeing clips of the interview in the Radio Times and io9. We are thrilled to have you all with us. Uh, we hope that you enjoy our back catalog, and we hope that you enjoy sticking with us in the weeks to come. Stick with us. Uh, not like class. That was a rough segue, yeah. but it's there. Uh, the news came out this week that class has been officially canceled. Alas. Yeah, I'm a little sad about that. I've only watched a few episodes, but what I've seen, I have enjoyed. There were some missteps along the way with the way it was promoted and shown across the pond um, and here in the States. Uh, it also was, you know, a challenging show to watch. I will never say that these topics shouldn't be tackled because of the targeted age range. In fact, I think it's especially important. But I know many people found the show a bit grueling to watch. You know, I personally found it very difficult to watch the show. You know, I've been through many of the things that some of, you know, the characters were. You know, not the fighting aliens at high school bit, but, you know, some of the uh, That's what I did back in the day. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm from California, so we, you know, di we already did the Buffy thing uh, uh -huh, a little while uh -huh. ago. Uh, but, you know, it... it it was really hard to watch those first few episodes for me. And uh, I accidentally stuck around after an episode of Doctor Who to see bits of the finale episode. And uh, oh, boy, that was that was a rough time. So I think I'm going to wait a few more months until I can go back and fully watch the show. But, uh, you know, I am sad that it is going to be gone. Mm -hmm. I would like to actually revisit it i've got class sort of waiting in my queue mm -hmm. and i'd sort of really like to dive deep into it several months from now when it doesn't have that just sort of aura unjustified of failure about it you know mm -hmm. it it was a series that was aired weirdly and not every good series makes it you know there are lots of different reasons uh for that so I would very much like to do a deep dive into class sometime without having the burden of, uh, you know, it's just been canceled. It there was there was nothing they could do with it. You know, that sort of thing. Um, I want to I want to evaluate it on its own merits. Absolutely. I think, though, we'll look back in a few years time and think about how it was a bold and underappreciated addition to the Doctor Who universe. So we recently talked a lot about conventions and what we like about conventions. And we spent some time, as we were talking about our favorite conventions and our best experience, you know, about the creme de la creme of fan-run Doctor Who conventions, which is, of course, Los Angeles's Gallifrey One. They made a guest announcement or two this week. They've got Pearl Mackey! Pearl Mackey's coming! 
that is what I was expecting to hear from you, Alyssa. Um, you didn't Yay. let me down. You didn't let me down. Pearl Mackey, Matt Lucas, David Bradley, when you talk about headliners, you talk about these folks. I mean, a current doctor is going to be way too expensive for most fan-run conventions to provide, but Pearl Mackey and Matt Lucas, these are the two other names that were in the freaking opening credits for the most recent season. Brought to Gallifrey, one with the help of showmasters, but all credit, as usual, to program director Sean Lyon and his fellow volunteers and the board of Gallifrey One for really pulling out all the stops. There's no reason to minimize your expectations for a galley because you're always going to have a great experience and the guests could not be any better this year already. And they're not even done yet. There are going to be more. Technically, we could probably consider David Bradley a current doctor since he is currently playing the first doctor officially in Doctor Who now. He was playing William Hartnell in An Adventure in Time and Space and now actually playing the first doctor. So uh, technically, Gallifrey One, y'all just may have brought in a current doctor. Alyssa, if you wore glasses, I'm pretty sure you would have been pushing them up the bridge of your nose with your index finger there. But you are, of course, correct. I love me some semantics. <laughs> oh, goodness. S.I. Hayakawa, you... Oh, never mind. Um, so <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're really looking forward to Galley, uh, as well as the other conventions that we're going to be going to here and there. And of course, we would love to see you at Galley and Long Island, too, and wherever else uh, good podcasters and good convention goers can be put together short news run we've got a lot to talk about about our favorite doctors and what makes our favorite doctors the doctor but real quick let's see what the rest of our friends on this podcasting network are up to this week on the incomparable colin trevorrow was fired from star wars episode 9 but jason snell and friends are there to help lucasfilm they're drafting their favorite potential Star Wars directors from the sublime to the ridiculous on The Incomparable. Speaking of Star Wars, Lex finally watches The Force Awakens on Not Playing. And John McCoy and Matt Scuda dig into A Wrinkle in Time on Sophomore Lit. All this and more at TheIncomparable.com. I had thoughts, Alyssa, when we were getting ready to uh, put together this episode. Um, one of the things that I've always sort of wrestled with a little bit in my Doctor Who fandom, and I talked about it some on uh, Two Minute Time Lord, my previous podcast, was this whole notion of who the Doctor is and why we cling to this Doctor character when the Doctor changes so constantly. And this show changes so constantly. 54 years worth of Doctor Who... And it seems odd to me that as fans, we tend to treat it like, you know, one show. It's very true. But we also have moments in time that are really more our show than other ones our. And it really sort of depends on how we choose that time, what makes it sort of click in our mind and, you know, what makes it our comfort food when we need a little bit of help. Um, and whoever's the doctor at that point in time tends to become our doctor. They're not only something that we become 
mildly possessive over. It's also somebody that when someone tells you about the character of the doctor, it's who your mind jumps to first. It's whose voice you hear in your head when you're reading doctorish lines. And it's this intonation that you fall back on when you're trying to explain what it is about the show that you really love. Yeah. It, the doctor can't be an abstract character. Um our, our friend, author, and former Doctor Who writer Paul Cornell once wrote on his blog that his favorite doctor is the next doctor. And that is such a great attitude. And it is such, it's, it's, it speaks of this sort of warm commitment to the idea of this 54 year old TV show. I can't say that because I've got past doctors that I've imprinted on. And my favorite doctor, you know. My doctor is, it, it, as excited as I am for Jodie Whittaker, I can't say that she's my doctor yet. And I suspect, a, a, as excited as you are, you're still not completely ready to let Peter Capaldi go. I am absolutely not ready to let Peter Capaldi go. <laughs> you know, I I definitely, you know, if, if you held me over a cliff, I don't know I'd be able to pick just one doctor that is my doctor. I thought really hard before we recorded this segment about how I was going to narrow it down and pick who my doctor was. And I finally settled on two. So, okay. you know, give me your brownie points for that. I, I narrowed it down. That's to okay. Just two. I've got two as well. Oh, fantastic. I'm so glad that you're not shy, side eyeing me in this moment for it. You know, for me... Peter Capaldi really has been my doctor. You know, I would have probably given you five different answers before he came on the screen, but there's something about him that has just really, really clicked with me since he's been the doctor. And even though I know I'm going to love Jodie Whittaker, I know in my heart, in my soul, there's always going to be a piece of me that just goes, but Peter Capaldi is my doctor. And uh, it's been really tough trying to piece out exactly what it is that makes me want to watch him above almost all other doctors. Well, surely it's that it's that 100% consistency in his character from season eight to season nine to season 10, right? I can feel the sarcasm coming from you, Chip. <laughs> and... It's a little bit that actually that his character has gone through such a massive growth. It's not always been as consistent of a story as I might have liked it to be. But, you know, I really view the show um, in a very interpretive way, namely that if sometimes I find some of the story lacking from episode to episode, there are times when my mind will just fill in the gaps and I can look a little bit at that character inconsistency between seasons and really pull an arc together of how that character has grown and changed. So uh, something that you and I will always fight about a little <laughs> bit, but uh, I do really we, like that. I will not argue with you that he had a character arc. That is that is one of the most fascinating things about Peter Capaldi. Uh, before I give you my doctors, uh, you just uh, said that you had two, so I'm dying to know who your other doctor is. 
My other doctor is John Pertwee, the third doctor. I am so not surprised. Yeah, if you've ever met me at a convention, I'm the one who's usually in a third doctor or Joe Grant cosplay. So uh, I've been very, very vocal about my love for that era of Doctor Who and particularly John Pertwee's doctor. Um, With that one, it's a lot more easy for me to pick out the exact details of why I love him so much. Um, You know, he really reminds me of a lot of family members, actually. Um, He very strongly reminds me of my grandfather. Um, And it's something about his charm. It's something about his sense of humor. And it's also a little bit about the flaws in that character that, to me, just really hit home. They were really sort of realistic human flaws um, that I had seen before, that I had experienced, that I'd had those sort of conflicts in my life very similar to uh, what Joe does when she's fighting for respect from him. Uh, so that to me was really what made me just fall head over heels with that doctor. And I, you know, when I think about classic doctors and I try to think about who amongst them would be my doctor, it's really got to be John Pertwee. And that's really interesting because you're talking about some aspects of his personality that are not entirely kind or wonderful you know you're you're finding some familiar stuff but you know him not taking joe grant seriously that's not exactly a laudable characteristic right absolutely not and you know i think one of the strengths of the character has been that he's a very flawed character and some periods of the show handle that a little bit better than others and some episodes handle that a little bit better than others there's some that sort of feed into those flaws and lift them up as being like well this is you know one of the doctor's best qualities and there have been other episodes that have really challenged that and explored that and gone you know what this isn't one of the doctor's best qualities And let's dig into that. Let's challenge that. Let's show it to be one of his flaws. Um, And for me, also, there's the, you know, lived human experience that I have of meeting and loving flawed people. You know, there's a lot of John Pertwee's flaws as a the character of the third doctor that resonate to me because, you know, those were some flaws that I saw in family members that I loved. Um, and same thing with Peter Capaldi, you know, uh, Peter Capaldi in series nine, when he sort of has to be prompted to show sort of that basic level of human interaction and empathy. You know, I know a lot of people didn't really like that. But my God, that was my father. That was, you know, I up to actually literally providing cue cards for how he should respond into a moment like that was my father to a T. So it was something that I really empathized with um, and really appreciated seeing because Nobody is perfect. Our heroes are always flawed. And part of growing up is recognizing that those people that you had idolized in your life were incredibly flawed individuals as well, and that you could love them in spite of and sometimes because of their flaws. So I think the way that John Pertwee and Peter Capaldi showed those flaws um, and the way they interpret them in the character was for me something that really made me love their doctors. I am going to take what you said about uh, the flaws within the doctor and run with it in just a f- in just a few minutes. Um, for a lot of people, 
my doctor, and I'm using it in quotes, my doctor, is the doctor that they imprinted on when um, they first started watching and fell in love with the show. And as far as classic doctors are concerned, that is totally me, because Peter Davison was my first doctor and is my classic doctor. After friends of mine back in school would tell me about this this show, Doctor Who, that was on PBS, and I tune it in, and it happened to be Peter Davison, who is young, he's approachable, he has, as the Target books never stopped telling us, a pleasant open face, <laughs> and just a remarkably accessible entry into this science fiction show. It also didn't hurt that... You know, I started watching round about the time The Five Doctors was one of my first episodes. So there's this glitzy new uh, TARDIS console that doesn't have all of the big rubber knobs and levers and things that I might have recoiled at if I'd seen them first. But also the contrast between Peter's doctor and the other three doctors that are sharing the sharing the screen with him, you know, I'm a young kid and I am watching this and the young doctor is the star of the show that's going to be sticking around. So, uh, yeah, Peter Davison. And when I had opportunities to see Tom Baker episodes uh, since then, he's not not my guy, not my guy. And which puts me at odds with practically 75 percent of the Doctor Who watching population of the time because Tom Baker was the doctor not just my doctor it will not surprise you at all to for me to say that david tennant is my doctor for the new series pretty much my number one uh throughout uh you know get the feigning salts if you need them i'm utterly shocked over here yeah and i think that is more about the personality traits of the character um and we'll we'll get into sort of those sorts of things but it's interesting to me that when I got back into Doctor Who with such enthusiasm, I loved the new show and I thoroughly enjoyed Christopher Eccleston. But the combination of him being a more prickly PTSD kind of doctor and the fact that not a week after Rose first aired, we found out that he was going to be a short timer. It made it difficult for me to sort of imprint on him. But there was something about David Tennant and the character's surface joie de vivre in humor and seductiveness, honestly, that <laughs> uh, that really worked for me. You crazy, crazy fangirl just getting seduced by David mm-hmm. Tennant. No, I wouldn't be the first. I wouldn't be the first. <laughs> There's a wall of fan art on uh, the back uh, in my den uh, that uh, my wife Shannon has collected. And there is uh, tin and rose all over the place, let me tell you. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. And it's a glorious wall. <laughs> You said that one of the things that attracted you to John Pertwee was his flaws. And I'm not one of these David Tennant fanboys who looks past the flaws of the character. I think that that actually makes him really interesting. There are two things that people always point to the Tenth Doctor that they consider undoctorish. And I think that this might be a good segue into talking about the characteristics that are important to us when we think about, you know, what, you know, my doctor is. Two big things that uh, the 10th Doctor does that really rub people the wrong way. The first is Donna Noble in Journey's End. 
which strikes me as completely in character for that doctor. He's just been through a lot and he's not going to let her burn up to death right in front of him. So he takes her agency from her to save her life. Pretty awful. Also, I think kind of in character for what the 10th doctor would have done in part because of his other thing that really, really ticks off uh, fans for whom David Tennant is not their doctor. And that is his attachment. He's got some serious attachment issues. Can't let go of Rose. Can't let go of his own self, his own uh, identity. And he's the one doctor who has the biggest problem with the notion of regeneration. Although Capaldi gives him a bit of a run for the money in uh, The Doctor Falls, he's afraid of changing. He's afraid of becoming worse or different. And mind you, this is a character who a few incarnations ago was introduced to the Valyard. So I can understand why a doctor might not want to regenerate. But um, this doctor was fascinating to me because he was more human-ish and more prone to um, attachment issues. But that seems to be one of those characteristics that really rubs some fans the wrong way. It does. You know, I would agree with you about um, Journey's End. Um, and it's the one and only way I'll defend that episode because having read some of the behind the scenes of how that happened, you know, there's a doyalist perspective that I can't quite ignore, that I'm not exactly in 100% in favor of how that character was written off. But there's a very Watsonian perspective of that is actually kind of in character for the Doctor and particularly the 10th Doctor. I have argued and will continue to argue that removing Donna's memories at the end of Journey's End is the beginning of the Time Lord Victorious arc, because it's the beginning of the Doctor really going, you know, F this, I'm not losing more people, even if I will violate all of my own rules and violate these people's agencies and really stop caring about any limits that should be placed upon me and what I can do. I think that for me, you know, there are definitely times where I've gone, something that the doctor is doing is very undoctorish. And partly that's because I get so attached to certain versions of the doctor that for me, those become the quintessential doctors that I am so enamored with how they have portrayed the character that I find that what other doctors do to really sort of contradict it. And like, logically, I can walk myself through sometimes and go, this is a different actor. This is a different time. This is a different interpretation of the character. And it can be okay to do that because there are plenty of people that would look to things that I like about my doctors and say, well, that's undoctorish. So I can sort of, you know, mentally talk myself out of it sometimes. There are some times that I can't do it. And I think that's because I come to moments where I feel like this is fundamentally a bad interpretation of the character that is harmful in ways that go beyond examinations of the doctor's flaws. And I think, unfortunately, part of the time that I see this is a lot with um, Matt Smith and hmm. moments with his doctor. 
there's a moment where Matt Smith's doctor and Jenna Coleman are at the TARDIS, and I still don't entirely know how this was done, whether this was scripted or improvised or whatever. But there's a moment that he's carrying a towel, and he smacks Jenna Coleman with the towel on her butt. There's another time in one of his Christmas episodes where they are standing in front of her family and he's pretending to be her boyfriend and he pretends to do that again by smacking her on the butt. And that's something that I found very undoctorish and particularly because it wasn't supposed to be anything about like, you know, the doctor's done things that have sort of violated the companions, you know, removing Donna's memories, attempting to remove Clara's memories that I found to be overall arcs examining the doctor's flaws. But those two moments really stuck in my head of this is just this is a violation of personal space and boundaries and just really uncouth behavior that I found very undoctorish. And Mm. I don't know whose choice it was to include that as part of the show. I have my own suspicions and ideas about it. But those were moments that I just sort of physically recoiled and went, no, not my doctor, not the doctor. This is undoctorish for me. Right. Uh, you can probably add to that recitation um, him kissing Jenny in The Crimson Horror. Yep. Um, um, also, the sort of strangulation of Perry in The Twin Dilemma, which some people argue is literally undoctorish because he's still in the middle of this like post-regeneration crisis. But right. I still like I still look at that and go, no, no, someone made a deliberate decision to include that. And it really shouldn't have been done. <laughs> I'd like to come back to the sixth doctor, but I'd like to stick with uh, Matt Smith for a second, because a lot of fans who got tired of David Tennant embraced matt smith wholeheartedly mm-hmm. he was the only he, he was finally finally the doctor for him and no one could ever surpass him until peter capaldi came along of course um but you've described a, a fair number of what we consider what we could consider undoctorish characteristics of the 11th doctor but i think that he brought something to the table that i think if we were going to create a list of what are some commonly held my doctor is or the doctor is characteristics eccentricity for the most part christopher eccleston and david tennant did not play their doctors as particularly eccentric matt smith was just effing weird well there was a lot of patrick troughton in the way that Matt Smith interpreted the character. And Matt Smith has said this himself, that when he went back and he watched a lot of classic Who, you know, he really loved the way that Troughton interpreted the character. And he picked that up from his sense of goofishness to the bow tie that he wore all the time. And I think that people go back and forth about how much of that eccentricity they like in the doctor and when they like that eccentricity because some people you know love the way it's played by Patrick Troughton some people love you know the faces that John Pertwee could mug some people love the sort of airiness and absent-mindedness of Tom Baker's doctor and Matt Smith pulled from a lot of those different characteristics to sort of make his eccentric doctor. Um, And some people recoil to some of that eccentricity. You know, you've got Peter Capaldi coming into a castle on top of a tank playing a guitar, and some people really did not 
like that. They thought that was way over the top. Uh, meanwhile, I'm sitting here just laughing just hysterically at the way that Michelle Gomez plays that scene of just, are you kidding me in the background? So people really draw interesting lines on what appeals to them and what type of eccentricity they love in the doctor. You know, I like my doctor to be a little eccentric. Sometimes I find Tom Baker's eccentricity a little too much for me. Um, But that's, you know, very much about what personally resonates with me. I love Peter Capaldi just rocking out in his guitar uh, wherever he is in the TARDIS on top of a tank. And I love the faces that John Pertwee pulls. And I love his just absolute randomness and wildness and utter conviction to drive every single random weird vehicle he can get his hands on. (laughs) It's it just it's all about what resonates with you. Eccentricity, I think, is generally speaking, a doctorish characteristic. Is heroism? To a certain extent, I would say yes. I think they've all played that heroism a very different way. But I think I need that a bit in my doctor. He doesn't always need to be a perfect hero. He doesn't always need to be the hero. You know, I think that definitely the character can take a step back and let other characters shine in certain episodes. But I do sort of like a heroic doctor that comes in, fights the monsters, pushes back the darkness and gives us a better, more hopeful vision for our future. I mean, I've been relying on that ethos primarily to get me through this past year. I need that character who gives me some light in the darkness and gives me that fire to keep fighting the good fight and beating back injustice wherever it is because it's exhausting sometimes. Mm, Yeah. So if heroism is another doctorish characteristic to some extent or another that may shed some light on why the sixth doctor was such a tough pill to swallow there for a while, you mean strangling Perry, Uh, regenerative delusions aside, they tried to create an arc for him, which they pulled off, I think, far more successfully, basically with Peter Capaldi. But uh, they were trying to take uh, the doctor from this uh, sort of a cynical anti-hero place to ultimately someplace uh, more doctorish. And for various reasons, they didn't quite pull it off. But that first season of Colin Baker's Doctor, between that and the costuming, just he doesn't seem very doctorish, does he? It's hard, you know? It's He's a lot less affable and a lot less likable than previous doctors had been. And likability with a doctor is a hotly contested topic, you know, especially when Peter Capaldi came around in Series 8. There was a lot of discussions about whether or not people needed the doctor to be likable in order to like the character and find them heroic. And Colin Baker really pushes those lines. And so did his script writers at the time. There's a lot of times where he's not only playing the anti-hero, he's playing it 
very unlikable one. You know, he's very full of himself. He's very confident. He's very vain. And it can be grating at times. And I think that that was a little bit hard for people to like and appreciate. And some people, that's what they really do like about the Sixth Doctor for those uh, who find Colin Baker is their doctor. But I think for a lot of people who were used to someone a little bit more affable, a little bit, you know, more personable, that was that was pretty hard. Yeah. The doctor can be, in theory, any personality, any, you know, in, in, in anything. Um, and I found season eight Peter Capaldi to be, well, season eight, 12th doctor. I, I found him to be not likable, but fascinating. But there's only so far you can go. And it was a good thing for the character that they move the character along the arc, recognized that Peter Capaldi could bring Malcolm Tucker intensity to reading the pages of a phone book and made some conscious efforts to dial the character back a little bit. And in the end, he is a hugger. He's finally a hugger. He wasn't one at the beginning. And I think that they really pulled back in some good ways to showing that, you know, you don't always have to be the most understanding person in the room. You don't always need to be the most gregarious person um, or necessarily even the most likable person, but you can show a basic level of empathy and respect for other people. And there really was a lot of growth on that, you know, from Into the Dalek, where the doctor says that Clara is his carer, so he doesn't have to, to his first interactions with Pearl Mackey's character, where he really sort of recognizes when he said things that insult her and pull back and approaches the conversation in a different way, that he recognizes he's being rude and he shouldn't be. And he dials it back a little bit and makes an effort to be a decent person. And there's a there's a bit of growth there um, that was definitely appreciated. In talking about this, I think I've finally come up with my one word answer for a personality trait or characteristic. If I fit if I finish the sentence, my doctor is and I don't use a character's name or an actor's name. I think my doctor is approachable. I responded so positively to the fifth doctor and to the tenth doctor because, you know, even though the fifth doctor could be pretty peevish and ornery sometimes, and the tenth doctor could be uh, manipulative and dark sometimes, they opened the door for you. They uh, made it easy for you to watch and enjoy and care and be entertained by them. There are a lot of Doctor Who fans who don't want the Doctor to be approachable. They want the Doctor to be alien and different. And some of the characteristics that they ascribe to the Doctor in that way when they, you know, they can take characteristics that are common in humanity and say, you know, I want my Doctor to have this characteristic because it makes him more remote or alien and I just don't think that's that that's fair. But yeah, my doctor is approachable. If you could boil it down to one word, what is your doctor? I think my doctor is righteous, and I mean that in a lot of different ways. I think my character 
as much as I love the doctor's speech in The Doctor's Falls about the importance of being kind, I think that my doctor isn't always kind. I think my doctor is always fighting against injustice, against cruelty, fighting for right, fighting for a better life, a better universe. And that doesn't always mean that the doctor's doing it the right way. I think a lot of the things that I appreciate about the doctor, particularly his flaws, come from his attempts to be righteous, that sometimes he oversteps his boundaries because he is trying to do the right thing and confuses the right thing with the selfish thing because he is still fragile. He's still very lonely and he doesn't like losing and he doesn't like the feeling that he has failed somebody, particularly somebody that he loves and he uh, feels like he has to protect. So for all of his flaws and for all of his virtues, my doctor is righteous or tries to be. I would really like to know how our listeners would fill in the sentence, my doctor is. So uh, if you would like to, listeners, tweet at us at drwhothisweek or respond to this podcast on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekintimetravel. We'd love to hear who your doctor is. Use the hashtag mydoctoris and fill in the blank. Let's find out whether it is a particular character slash actor or a particular characteristic. And we'll read out some of the best ones in next week's episode. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're on Twitter at drwhothisweek. You can find Chip on Twitter at numeral 2 Minute Time Lord. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. And you can find us on Facebook too. And you can also find us at the Long Island Who convention coming up in November. Please say hi. Jason Snell runs the Incomparable Network, and he and we would greatly appreciate it if you could support us by becoming a member at theincomparable.com slash members. You can even direct your support directly to This Week in Time Travel. Our theme music was brought to you by Christopher Breen, and our podcast logo was designed by David J. Lore. Alyssa, I'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Bye-bye.